this morning we want to welcome you to our service. I hope that the Lord will bless your heart today. Man, that's our joy at Family of Grace that we continue to break cultural and racial and social barriers to help you become all that God's intended for you to be. If you have your Bible today, if you'll take it and turn with us to the book of Exodus chapter 3. I, uh, man, the Lord gave me this, uh, this, this thought yesterday and kind of put a lot of this into place. And uh, have you ever heard this statement or have you ever said this statement? God, when are you going to do something? Have you ever watched the news and thought, God, how long, are, how long is this going to happen? Has anybody in here ever said that? You ever thought it? Am I the only one? And, uh, man, I was thinking about that thought yesterday. And, uh, man, I was uh, just grabbed my heart. Because I believe that God is looking for a generation today to rise up and be the difference, to make the difference. And I thought about that, and uh, it's an interesting passage of Scripture. You know, uh, the book of Habakkuk. He asked that same question. God, how long are you going to do something? As a matter of fact, that was his exact words. God, how long will I pray and you not answer? Boy, have you ever said that? And God said, I am doing something. I am raising up the Chaldeans, which would be King Nebuchadnezzar, to come in and overthrow y'all and bring you into captivity because you won't repent. But the good news is, after 70 years, I'm going to rescue you and bring you out. And I thought about this yesterday, and I was really, that grabbed my heart. And I was like, wait a minute. Because I've made that statement a lot. I've thought about Habakkuk a lot. When he said, God, how long before you do something? And I've thought about that. And God said, I am doing something, but the only problem is what I'm doing, you're not going to like it. And here's the thought that grabbed my heart yesterday and slammed me down on the mat. And it's like, it's a last result. That's God's last result. To have to raise up a Chaldean army to come in and overthrow, to surround you and press you in, just like what's happening in, in, in the Ukraine and the Russian forces are coming in and they're surrounding the Ukraine people and they're, they're this threat of power. That's the last thing that God wants to do is box you in. Now, I hadn't figured out, well, I have figured out it was kind of an oh me moment. Because God wasn't saying to me, I don't want to do that. That's not the course of action. How long will I do something? And God said, I have already done it. I created you. I created you. And for such a time as this, get off of Esther. We love that scripture for such a time as this. I've brought you into the kingdom. Preachers love to quote that scripture and feel warm and fuzzy and sing kumbaya. But need I tell you that that statement was not made half-hearted? Mordecai told her that under the death threat of her being executed for going into the presence of the king without being invited. 
We like to think about that was just a warm, fuzzy moment in the, in the royal palace when that took place. No, Esther was willing to lay down her life. And, and Mordecai said, you don't have a choice. You're the only one who can do something. And he said, who knows, for such a time as this, God has brought you into the kingdom. And today, what I want you to know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I believe for such a time as this, in this world that we live in, in this day, in this age, while evil abounds, while wickedness runs to and fro in the world, God has raised us up. He's raised you up for such a time as this, at your workplace, at your soccer field, at your softball complex, at your football field, at your fishing lake, at your golf course, at your cubicle, at your business, in your home, God has raised you up for such a time as this. God is looking for a generation. God is looking for a people. And I just was overwhelmed with the thought of of Joshua. Look in your Bible in Exodus chapter 3. The story starts with this great, with this great expectation. When will God do something? In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, it's an interesting verse. And it says, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their sufferings. And I come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. And bring them from that land to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites. That sounds good, doesn't it? Moses is standing there warming up by the burning bush. This is good. God, I'm glad. I'm glad you've heard the cry of the children of Israel. I'm glad, God, that you're going to rescue them and bring them out. Verse 10. Therefore, because I'm going to do that, I'm sending you. Circle that in your Bible. I am sending you. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people out of Israel. Well, I want you to know today that in the world we live in, I I do not care what God people serve, what nationality they are. I want you to know that we are all God's people. We are all created in God's image. And there is an expectation. The children of Israel had an expectation that God would deliver them. And God wanted to deliver them. But I'll tell you, God God could have wiped Pharaoh out with his own hand without using Moses, without the burning bush, without trying to convince Moses that he could do it. Because the next few verses is Moses' reasons why he can't do it. And, I mean, he had some good ones. Lord, you know I'm not that good a speaker. And everybody who heard him speak probably said, yeah, he's right. I'm not that good a speaker. I'm not that eloquent with words. And Lord, if I did go and I could talk to Pharaoh, if I could even get to Pharaoh, who am I going to tell them? Why would the children of Israel even listen to me? Because you're going to tell them that I am sent you. I am whatever you need. And there was this expectation. And today in the world that we live in, there is this expectation leveling. God is wanting to do some things in our hearts, in our lives, in our country, in our city. But there's an expectation. Could God do it all by himself? Absolutely. Will he? Negatively. The only thing that God will do by himself is when this whole thing's wrapping up, King Jesus will come back and he wage war in the book of Revelation and defeat all the armies of the world and we'll be cheering him on. 
But God wants us to be his partners. When will God do something? He did it on October 28, 1973. A little bitty baby boy came bursting forth from my mother's womb. And there I am. And God said, I want you to be the voice crying out into a city. Your birthday. God did it. He started something right there. That day, God started something special. God set aside every one of us for a purpose and a plan. We're not all preachers. We're not all We're not all singers, but we're all his children. We're all created in his image, and we're all his ambassadors. Whether you hold a pulpit weekly and people gather to listen to you, or you sit at your cubicle and you tell the greatest love story in all of the world, there's an expectation that God desires to use you. Not only is there the expectation, when when will you do something, God? There's the invitation. Look with me, if you will, a couple of chapters over in the book of Exodus chapter 24. After the children of Israel had been delivered by Moses, need I say, after they had crossed over on dry ground, after they had been on their journey for a while, God called Moses and he said, I want you to come up the mountain. I want to give you the Ten Commandments. And chapter 24 and verse 12 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there. So that I may give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments that I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and he went up to the mountain of God. He told him what to do while he was up there. Let Aaron and and her take care of any disputes that come amongst them. Verse 15, when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. The glory of the Lord settled in on the mountain. Circle that in your Bible. It settled in. The cloud covered for six days. It covered there. For six days, and on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. And the appearance of the Lord's glory on the Israelites was like a consuming fire. And on the mountaintop, and Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain. And he remained on that mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Another passage of this Deuteronomy says that Joshua went up the mountain a ways and he stayed there. Moses went up the rest of the way. Now I want to shift our focus for a moment from Moses to Joshua. Because Joshua was just a young person. Joshua was just a young person. He was a young person at this time in his, his ministry. And, and uh, man, he, uh, he, he had a lot of maturing to do. Probably had a lot of growing up to do. But Joshua understood something. He understood there was something going on inside of him that he just couldn't quite contain. And he understood that God was up to something in the life of the children of Israel. I mean, you you don't have to be a super spiritual person to realize when he rolls back the Red Sea and you kick up dust while you're crossing it, and then that same sea closes up on the whole army of Pharaoh, wipes out your greatest enemy, and you never had to fire a shot or swing a sword. I mean, you don't have to be super spiritual to figure out something's going on that's greater than you are, amen? 
And so, man, as we look at this and we connect these dots, some interesting things were happening here. Joshua had an invitation. There was an expectation with the people that they would be set free. But then when we go a little bit further, in the midst of the expectation, there was an invitation. And the invitation said, come up the mountain, come meet with me, enter into the cloud, spend time with me. And that invitation brought Joshua from down here up the mountain and for 40 days Joshua was there now we know what Moses was up to I mean he was up on the mountain watching God write on the tablets of stone but what about Joshua just just a normal assistant he wasn't watching the finger of God etch out the rock what was he doing the Bible doesn't tell us But I want you to know the one thing that he was doing is he wasn't settling for lower living. He wasn't settling for lower expectations on his own life because he had an invitation to come up a little bit higher. And he went up a little bit higher. I'll tell you what he was doing. For 40 days, he was in the presence of God. For 40 nights, he was in the presence of God. For 40 days and 40 nights, he was in the incubator spending time growing up in God, the preparation of what was taking place because there was an invitation. Say, wow, that must have been cool. Receive the invitation to go up that mountain. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But no cooler than the invitation that you've received. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, if you're a new creation from verse 17, now then you are an ambassador. As though God were imploring through you on behalf of Christ. For the lost world to be reconciled back to a holy God. Yes, there was an expectation. Is there an expectation in the world today? Yes. Yes. There's an expectation. God, how long will you do something? Lord, how long will you let this politics run amok? God, how long will you let Russia rattle its saber? God, how long will you let the the Christians continue to be killed and and martyred? Last week, we looked at the 33 believers who were waiting execution in North Korea. This week, two women were executed while their children, while their two daughters watched in Somalia because they were believers. We say, God, how long will you allow this stuff to happen? God, how long will you allow people to water down your word? To preach lies and heresy? God, how long will you allow stupid people to be on the radio and TV debating stupid things that are irrelevant? Somehow I stumbled across a debate yesterday between two professors at seminary. And they were debating... Whether it was right or wrong to have an invitation. And I was listening to that and getting pretty fired up. And so for about 30 minutes on the radio, burning up valuable airtime, they debated one another whether it was right or wrong to extend an altar call for people to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I thought, Lord, help us. Who cares how you do it? Just do it. I mean, really? Really? 
Whether you play a song and they come forward at the end or they, God meets them out in a hay field or a fishing lake or any other place or up in a deer stand or at wits in corner wringing their hands out, not knowing what to do. Just do something. And if you're going to use up airtime for the love of all, quit arguing amongst one another and tell the greatest love story in all the world. I thought, God, how long are you going to let this happen? God said, I am doing something. I'm preparing young Joshua's all over the world to rise up from religious apathy, to shake off the spirit of religion, to come out of the corners of addiction. To leave their past behind and embrace a whole new future that God has prepared them for. Well, there was this expectation that people have. There was an expectation that God had. There was an invitation for everybody to get in the fight, for everybody to make a difference. Why in the world does God have to raise up the Chaldeans to come in and overthrow his own people? Why in the world can't the church of the living God rise up from amidst the spirit of religiosity and come out from among them and say, God, don't raise up the Chaldeans. God, raise me up. Let me be a young Joshua. Let me be a young Esther. God, use me instead of the sword. God, use me instead of the pestilence. People like to talk about how God doesn't stir things up. That scripture everybody loves to quote in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen: If my people call by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and begin to heal their land. He just don't like verse 13. It says, verse 13 says, If I, God, shut up the heaven... If I, God, don't send the rain, if I, God, send the pestilence, then when my people will call out, I will answer. Why in the world does God have to use the Chaldeans? Why does he have to use the pestilence? Because trouble, sometimes trouble's the only thing that'll ever get us to God. Today, God's speaking to your heart, and he's saying, will you be the next Esther? Will you be the next Rahab to come out of prostitution and join the ministry team? Oh, you may not get a call from the mega church. You may not get a call from any church. But you can get called up from the king of glory. And is there any higher calling? I mean, don't, don't feel bad. Jesus couldn't land a job pastoring a church today either. <laughs> I mean, you think I'm tough. He's just like, you bunch of vipers and turning tables over and stirring up trouble. Whitewashed tombs, pretty on the outside. You stink on the inside. Boy, he was a real crowd drawer, wasn't he? An invitation, but the preparation. God's not going to send you to something he hadn't prepared you for, but are you willing to be prepared? Look in the book of Exodus, a couple of chapters over. Chapter 33 and verse 7. There's Moses again in verse 7. It's an interesting story. Now Moses, 
he took his own tent, and he set it up outside the camp. He set it up far away, and he called it the tent of meeting. And anyone who wanted to consult with the Lord would go to the tent of meeting, and it was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, and each one at the door of the tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent. And then they would stand there. They would stand at the, and he'd bow down and worship each one at the door of his tent. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Just as a man speaks with his friend. People say, I don't know how to pray. Well, first of all, get rid of your religious preconditions and just talk to him like a friend I mean when Peter was sinking he didn't say my holy father who is in heaven your name so hallowed he just said save me like you would your friend now I'm not diminishing that other model but just talk to him like a friend Then Moses would return to the camp. But there was this young man named Joshua. Who would not leave the inside of the tent. Because he found the presence of God. And Joshua. We don't know anything about Joshua's childhood. It's not like we can point back to the day that his mother made this big sacrificial statement and say, there's no way I'm putting, there's no way I'm giving my baby boy to Pharaoh. I'm going to make a little reed basket and put him in crocodile infested water. We don't have no backstory on Joshua. All we know is that one day he was called up. And when he was called up, because he was called up, because he was called out. And he was called out. Because God wanted to use him to make a difference. And Joshua accepted the invitation. And he began that preparation. And he stayed in the presence of God. He'd follow his leader into the tent. And meet with God there. They'd worship God. Joshua said, I don't know. You remember those 40 days, 40 nights on that mountain. That's pretty good with just me and Jesus. I think I might just stay here a little while. And he was going through that preparation moment because God was preparing him for something that was greater. God was preparing him for something that was significant. God was up to something in his life. God invited him because he needed him. You mean God had to have Joshua? No, I mean, come on. I mean... I mean, God's used roosters and jackasses before. I mean, he just wants to use things and people for his purpose. God, God wants you. God wants you to be his hands. God wants you to be his feet. God wants you to be his ears. God wants you to be the catalyst. God wants you to be the next spark. God doesn't want 
to necessarily use the Chaldeans. He wants to use you. But when God's people refuses to be used, God has to take other tactics sometimes. An expectation, an invitation, a preparation that all led for this process of sanctification. I stand here before you today with a sanctified watch. Because it is set aside for its intended purpose. How many times do you ever see somebody and you just admire their watch? People spend a lot of money on watches, but most people pay them little attention because a lot of times shirt sleeve covers them up, jacket covers them up, something. I mean, occasionally if they own a short sleeve and a new big bulky watch or something, it'll, it'll catch the attention. Ladies say, oh, most of the time when ladies talk about a watch, a lot of times it's because attention's been drawn to it. Did you see my new watch? This watch is sanctified because it's set aside for its intended purpose. And you, nobody, nobody ever makes a comment on my watch. And for some reason, I have this crazy habit a lot of times, because I'm crazy, of putting my watch on my hand. I just get tired of wearing it on my wrist. How many of you guys ever noticed my watch on my hand? Yeah? That's crazy. I don't know how I started that. I remember as a grandpa, as a boy, my grandpa would go to church early every Sunday morning and make coffee. And I can remember, I can remember sitting there in that fellowship hall with him, just me and him. And, and he had a big old watch. And, and he would just sit there at the head of the table in that little kitchen with his watch in his hand like this. I don't know, honestly, I just get tired of having it on my wrist and I'm ADD. And so I get to fidgeting and so it ends up on my hand. Many people look at that and say, what, what are you doing with your watch? Like, is it, are, you, are you clocking us? No longer is my watch really sanctified when it goes on my hand because it's, ne- it's not set aside to be on my hand. People look at that and say, that dude's crazy. It could be on my wrist and they never say anything. sanctification is set aside for its intended purpose. God did not intend for you to be set aside to spend your whole life on yourself. He created you to impact others. Now, He wants to bless you and your life along the journey. God wants to use you. God did not create you as a trophy of wrath or as an object of wrath or a trophy of disgrace, but you were created as a trophy of grace. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. I don't care what language you speak, what nationality you be from or, or, or come from, or, or I, I, what religion you may have grown up in. God wants to use you. You say, I'm too young. Really? Isn't it amazing that most of the people who God used to have a huge impact was kids? You say, oh, well, that pastor, that gives me an out. Really? I'm old. Well, God used Moses as a young boy. He used him as a middle-aged dude and an old man. And when Joshua was old, get this. God went to him and he said, hey, Joshua, you're old. Now, dude, you know you're old when God calls you old. He said, but there's still much land to be conquered. What are you doing? Say, 
God is speaking to your heart right where you are. Let him have his way in your life. Maybe you're sitting there at home and you're watching us on television or the internet this morning. You're saying, Pastor, what do I do? First of all, right where you are, just say, God, have your way in my life. Lord, I don't know what you have to do or what I have to overcome, God, but I believe you can do it. And then find you some people or a church that believes in you and will support you and help you make the difference for all of eternity. God will bless you tremendously. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors that made this program possible. Bayou Shirts. At Bayou Shirts, we offer quick, friendly, quality service for all your t-shirt needs. Check us out today at BayouShirts.com for information on all these services we can provide. Camping Ground Coffee Shop in downtown Alexandria. If you're looking for a great place to hang out or have a break and a wonderful cup of coffee, please stop by and see Jeff and thank him for his support of our 